0: You want to bring that last 10 feet up even slower and then stand that hook up on its nose and kind of split second hold it there and then just bring it off the ground gently and then you'll confirm hook's clear.
1: You're listening to the Rotary Wing Show, a show for helicopter aircrew by helicopter aircrew. Each week we travel the world to hear from the people that fly and support helicopters to learn a little bit more about their stories and pick up some tips along the way. If you want to catch up on past shows or see photos from the interviews, head over to RotaryWingShow.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes, just search for Rotary Wing Show, and get future episodes direct to your phone. I'm your host, Mick Cullen. Heap of stuff for you today in episode 13, so let's get stuck right in. Very first thing we've got is some listener feedback from Brett in Melbourne, Australia. Brett writes, Hi Mick, I'm a PPLH holder and own an R44. Just wanted to say, well done. I used the 44 to commute between the farm and the city. It's a 46-minute flight versus three and a half hours in the car. And very much enjoy the show and sitting on the tractor. Keep up the good work. Cheers, Brett. So, look, Brett, thank you very much. It's really appreciated uh, to get the feedback and if you take a moment out of your time to do that and write in. So, thank you. And if you're listening and you wanted to send some feedback in, Read on the show or just uh, take it on board. You can send an email to feedback at rotarywingshow.com. And I'd love to hear where in the world you're listening from and what you're flying and what you're doing. And on the website, if you head over to rotarywingshow.com, on the right hand side, you also find a a widget with an orange button that allows you to leave a voicemail message on the website. And I can then actually play that MP3 on the show as well. So if you want to give a shout out from where you are in the world and what you fly, you can do that. We'll include you in the show. And I'd love to, because again, it's a it's supposed to be a, a feedback show as well as uh, me talking all the time. So find the show on iTunes. And it'd be great if you can leave a star rating or a review. That would be super awesome as well and really helps out. Okay, so it's October 2014 as I record this and we're moving into November and that is means it is Movember a month again. So November is a charity event where chaps grow their mustaches and it's all about raising money for men's health. So uh, we've been roped in with the uh, guys from Aeropower. So I'll be taking part in that again this year. And I am by no means uh, a great mustache grower. So it's gonna be a lot of hilarity for uh, the people around watching this very dodgy looking mow growing on my face. But look, if you enjoy the show, and uh, if we met up in person you'd me a beer or a coffee, then please consider heading over to rotarywingshow.com forward slash Mo, that's M-O, and uh, sponsoring me for growing a mustache for November and raising money for men's health. That'd be awesome. And I'll put some photos up on uh, Facebook at facebook.com forward slash rotarywingshow. And you can have a bit of a laugh at my expense as we go through that. I'm looking at taking on a a really big helicopter-related project in the next couple of months. So it's a bit under wraps at the moment, but I'm looking for a small handful of helicopter schools and EMS operators to sort of fine-tune the concept before uh, going guns out on that one. So if you're keen to play a part in promoting helicopters worldwide and are curious about being involved, then drop me a line about that project at feedback at rotarywingshow.com. Because, yeah, I'd love to get some extra opinions and uh, see where we can uh, take this idea. So more on that in the next couple of coming weeks. Okay, quickly, a quote of the week. Uh, See if you can guess who this is. And again, at the end of the show, I'll uh, let you know who this is from. So here's the quote. Like all novices, we began with the helicopter, but soon saw that it had no future and dropped it. The helicopter does with great labor only what the balloon does without labor. It is no more fitted than the balloon for rapid horizontal flight. If the engine stops, it must fall with deadly violence for it can neither float like a balloon nor glide like an airplane. The helicopter is much easier to design than an airplane, but it is worthless when done. So, hey, that's a pretty big call and uh, something we prove wrong every day. I'll tell you who that was at the end of this interview. It's coming up, and that brings us to today's interview. It's, again, it's a longer one, but we had so much to cover in it. So today's guest is Andre Hutchings, and he's a really experienced longline pilot and trainer. And today he takes us through what's essentially a mini lesson in how to conduct longline operations. So let's jump into the interview. Andre, thanks for joining us on the Rotary Weeking show, folks. For listening in, we're talking to Andre Hutchings, and we're really we're a heap of stuff about uh, long lining, vertical reference, and things like that. But Andre, this has been a, a couple of weeks in the making to get you on the show because you've been tripping all around the world. So, one welcome, and uh, you want to tell us where you've been? Sure, I've been in Afghanistan for the last month at least, and we've we've been there since August of
0: 2011 with Columbia helicopters. So we've had five helicopters, four vertols. And a Chinook over there. We've pretty much introduced long-lining to the US military, at least, and have been doing a lot of long-line work over there as well.
1: So, you've been um, doing. Back, sorry, I know you've been doing more of the training side of things with the US military then, or have you been operational working with a, an organization actually nah, flying around?
0: Yeah, operational. So, we've used the, um, the 107s and our Chinook and have just been flying long-line jobs for them. So, um, different units that we've worked for, and then uh, a lot of resupply. Kind of daily missions, you know, bolts and beans as they say. And we've, just of late, we've been starting to do a lot of precision placement for them up on ridge lines, mountain tops, that type of thing. So they're really taken to it. They like the length of that line and the fact that you know brown out factor and the print on the smaller bases, that type of thing. It's not as uh, not as harsh as, as some of the shorter lines on the military jobs.
1: All right. And yeah, it's my experience. We'll talk about too. is much of the shorter lines. And, and that's something you typically would see in, in photos of video coming back from Afghanistan is just the amount of dust that that's kicked up.
0: Sure. Yeah, big factor for sure. So that's right. working out really well. There's there's a couple of civilian companies over there that have been flying online. So um, it's starting to be uh, pretty popular.
1: All right, let's retrace your steps in again. So, obviously, to be in that position, you've done a, a fair bit of long-lying and you've got a f- bit of flying experience. What was your first flying experience? Where would you first learn to fly?
0: Um, civilian, flew in LA as a flight instructor and ended up working for a police department in Los Angeles for about three years. And then went off to Columbia Helicopters and been with Columbia for the last 18, working with their uh, – started off in a 500 with Columbia, co-pilot 500, and that's where we were introduced to a long line. And then you move into the Vertol and then from the Vertol into the Chinook. So. And then last, like say, last three years, I've been a country manager for them in Afghanistan. So it's been a good career with that company for sure.
1: And what parts of the world have you, has it taken you to? They've
0: uh, got jobs in Peru. You know, in Peru, they've got jobs in New Guinea, been in New Guinea for about 40 plus years now. All over the states, Alaska, you know, pretty much across the country there. And uh, Ecuador, they've uh, had setups over there. But uh, mainly myself, I was in Peru and uh, 48 in the, the
1: states. All right, Andre, we'll talk a bit more about the company where you're doing the training in, in a moment. But just quickly again to set the scene, really, this, this interview, what we're trying, to, what we to get into, is the guts of uh, long lining. And sure. essentially compress a you know a long lining course into a half hour conversation, so someone who's who's listening in who's never done it before can sort of walk away with a you know a very light or a very uh, quick introduction to what it's all about and maybe pick up some tips so if they do have to do yeah, it exactly. down the track. Uh, but the company um, you're basically rebranding it and you' are starting the company. It's going to be called uh, Volvo Mission, and it's a dedicated uh, training for long lining. Is that kind of correct?
0: That's right, Mick. Yeah, we, we uh, started off about eight years ago with Los Angeles helicopters. We uh, started a, one of the first formal kind of long line training companies and based off the experiences that we've had with Columbia and, you know, the last uh, decade or so and, uh, and, you know, a lot of tips and pointers from guys in Columbia that have been there for 40 plus years. So, um, we put together a program. We've now, Taken it away from the flight school kind of arena, and we're running with Lolo Mission rebranding Volo Mission to make an exclusive long vertical reference long line training company um, with a lot more focus on a uh, human factors and the safety side of things, and kind of take it at that next level there. So that's what we're uh, going for now.
1: Excellent. Well, we'll get into more of that um, towards the end then. So let's dive in. And- sure. Talk about, uh, I guess, terminology. And you, you hear, obviously, long-lining, uh, thrown around, and vertical reference. What's the difference between vertical reference and long-lining?
0: So vertical reference is actually the skill of being able to fly the aircraft looking out and down. So it actually starts off, the training will start off, and, and most pilots will start off just learning how to fly the aircraft out the door or out the bubble without the, the normal horizon that you've got as a reference. You're now you know, kind of twisted, looking out left side, right side, whichever way the helicopter set up for you. And uh just learning how to fly in that seating position. It's, it's extremely difficult to do so. And that's the first step. So the basics of foundation for longlining are based on your ability to fly vertical reference. That gets you in that seating position, gets you used to flying like that, being able to fly out the door. And then uh, that's when after that we hook up a long line and that's when you start your long line training.
1: Is there jobs out there where you do vertical reference flight, you know, as, as part of the mission type thing rather as opposed to doing external loads or doing a long line?
0: There is. Yeah. You know, any ships like the cranes that have a belly tank on them. So that's all vertical reference work without the long line. And then there's, you know, we started off, like I say, the 500s for Columbia and you'd take in the, the cutters, the woodcutters on a logging job and you land on the heliports, drop those guys off, that type of thing. But the jobs, a lot of firefighting machines that, uh, that don't have lines under and, uh, you know, belly tanks and that type of thing. So that's all vertical reference flying at that point.
1: Gotcha. Okay, let's jump into the second half. Of that is long lining. What's considered a long line? And again, you talked about the, the military using the drop. So, yeah, you want to go through the differentiation there.
0: Sure. Yeah. You know, it's a 50-foot line can be considered a long line. Um, if you've got a 50-foot line and then you've got a load that's got another 30-foot sling on it or a on it, so now you're looking at 80 to 100 feet, you know, from the belly of the aircraft to the load itself. So it just depends really on what you've got going, what your load is, what your mission is, what environment you're flying in as to the definition of it. Um, and either firefighting, construction, seismic, oil and gas, power line, all that type of thing. So just really depends on the job in hand.
1: So what would, what would be it's some of like the deciding the factors in choosing a longer line? So you obviously mentioned dust in Afghanistan would be one. I uh, imagine the other yep. one is just purely, you know, being able to stick your head far out enough out of the helicopter to be able to see the load below you. If it's too short, you may not be able to see it. What are some of the other considerations about actually whether you're going long line or, or short strop? Sure,
0: definitely. Take a logging job, for instance. So high timber, you're going to need a longer line to be able to get the hook down to the to the ground crew on the ground. Obstacle clearance, construction jobs, you know, you a shorter line on a construction job is good if you've got the altitude, you know, say like uh, adding a piece to a, an existing tower or something like that, you know, you can see the guy's hands, you can see their face, you can see their expressions, that type of thing, and, and gives you cues on what you need to do at the time, but it really just depends on the environment you're in as to what type of line you're going to use. No you know, ground outs, white outs, that type of thing.
1: So you mentioned a couple of different things there. What are the more, some of the more interesting sort of things you've carried underneath the helicopter?
0: You know, we've carried aeroplanes, you know, lifted out a few aeroplanes in you know, a time, a few helicopters, power line jobs, that type of thing, ski towers, they're always kind of nerve-wracking jobs. You know, you got a lot of guys on the ground around, here, around the base of the tower, that type of thing. A lot of oil and gas stuff, placing loads, you know, on oil rigs, oil sites, A lot of the precision stuff is some of the more interesting work, some of the more uh, nerve wracking type of work.
1: All right. And and look, it's really different. It's really outside of my experience because, um, again, the the military flying I did, we often, you know, hardly ever saw the load because we'd land next to it and we'd have a a loadmaster, an air crewman, or a a crew chief, I think you call them states. And sure. that yeah. we'd just pick up vertical, it'd be underneath the helicopter, and we'd be listening to, to those guys for our uh, and guidance and instructions, and he hardly ever saw it. Uh, so I've carried yeah. uh, so many cement uh, blocks and, and uh, fuel blivets filled with water, uh, rather than actually doing gotcha. too much in, uh, in anger. So yeah, it's a really different skill. So I've done it once or twice, and as you said, it's just really weird being so far outside the helicopter. And then, uh, yeah, yeah having that there. So, excellent. So, I'm really keen to find out some things we go through. Uh, what about platforms? Like, what makes a good long lining machine? And have you flown any, uh, any helicopter types where you've just gone, this is just horror, and it just shouldn't be used at all?
0: You know, I haven't, I haven't had too many experiences with aircraft that kind of shouldn't be used. There's a lot of different machines. You know, normally, the normal kind of utility machines that you see out there, you know, the, the A-Stars and Hueys, the... You know, jet ranges are, are pretty popular. A lot of 44s doing work in Alaska. You know, get the Verkhoels or Chinooks, the 61s, that type of thing. So the more heavy-duty kind of aircraft for the bush work is what's pretty much being used. Now, anything, most of the time you sit in left seat because you've got that collective actually underneath you. So you can pull straight up on that collective. It's right close to you in that left seat. But there are some, the A-Stars have a kit that you can buy to convert it to a right seat drive so you can actually fly the line from the right seat. On the right seat, they've got the little window in the floor there on the right side as well that you can use. But, uh, yeah, most of the, you know, good setup is with a bubble window or, a, you know, a window, that, a low door and a window that can open, and, which is what you'll find on most of the heavier aircraft. Um, you know, with the downwash and the, and the potential dust and all that type of thing, to have a bubble window is a bonus. So most of the larger stuff will have bubbles on them but you know a wide variety of good machines many good mountain machines that you'll see out there flying lines
1: alright and you mentioned in the you know the training you're doing with the company a uh, human factor side and when I've done it like that was one of the biggest things that hit me is it's such an uncomfortable position if you're not used to it I guess I don't know it gets any better with, with experience but um, you know it would seem very fatiguing uh, so what are some of the, the human factor side of things
0: yeah a lot of back injuries for a right, for sure So. <laughs> yeah. um, a lot of lot of the guys have back back issues, them myself. But yeah, it's it's very fatiguing job. It's um, places a lot of high demands on the pilots, the the helicopters, the lines, all the equipment as well. You know, everything to do with it is is pretty demanding. The firefighting, that type of thing. You know, you're working with other aircraft. You're in there long days, hot weather. You know, it's most of the time where we're long line, and it's because they don't have access via roads or whatever so you've been called in. So it's normally pretty harsh country that you're working in so it's either usually very hot or very cold one of the two so that with working a single pilot machine you know columbia we're all dual pilot but uh, you've got added risk factors there and factors there that uh that place a high demand on the pilot so it's multiple things going on there you know logging for instance is uh you know pounds per hour pretty much so that's a a full day of as hard and fast as you can go. So it's definitely a a part of the industry that's um, hard work for sure, no doubt.
1: Any tips there? Uh, do, you, do you lean the opposite direction when you're doing the, the, the transits? Ooh, a bit of stretching.
0: <laughs> plenty of sleep, mate, a bit of stretching, you know, stretch it the opposite direction. It's, um, I mean, we get out, we'll, we'll fly a fuel cycle, get out, take a bit of a walk around, jump jump back in and go again. Or, you know, dual pilot, we have the ability most of the time to, to swap out with the other guy. Single pilot, you've just got to get out, take plenty of breaks. You know, it's a pretty brutal uh, regimen for sure. But, uh, that's the world of the utility. Yep.
1: Fly. All right, well, if we, All yeah. right. If we keep walking through, uh, you know, a standard mission, so if we talk about um, basically power and performance, so all the, all the pre-flight type stuff and prep stuff, and then go through yeah, sure. a, uh, you know, I guess ground crew pick up a flight and then dropping off a load. So if we can sort of walk through that process. So let's start off with the, you know, pre-flight planning type thing. So if we're going out on a long, long mission, what do we th- need to be thinking about as far as our power and our performance?
0: Yeah, with parent performance, you know, we're we're looking more at, at the load and the fuel and this type of thing as far as how we're going to be able to to work the jobs. You know, you'll go out, like, we'll plan a job. They'll tell us what kind of weights we're looking at flying. Most of the time, rule of thumb is that the weight will always be heavier than what they tell you, of course. So you always got to kind of keep that in mind. Distance, the load, size. The, the ability of to load to fly, that type of thing, are all things that you need to keep in mind. So when we go to a job, we'll normally go out there, we'll look at the, the loads that they want to fly, the lay-down area, the pick-up area, and the distance in between, take a flight if possible, you know, in between the two points. And uh, a lot of variance there, a lot of variables there that um, you need to take into consideration before you head off and, and start flying. It's my, the, the really the only thing we have to work with most of the time is, is the first thing is the fuel, and then the second, if possible, and the majority of the time it's not, but to light up the load itself. Do something with the load that, that uh, if we need to take something off it, take some weight off it, that's the next thing, so. All
1: right, as far as weight and balance goes, generally your hook is gonna be at the, you know, the center point of your uh, right. weight and balance? Exactly.
0: Yeah, so the attaching points that the manufacturers put in, are, 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 you know, in the gate where they load be placed or you hang from. So, and it, it, the only real thing is is the load itself. As far as its ability to fly, the way the guys have rigged it can have an effect. You know, is it going to spin? Is it going to fly well? Is it going to rock back and forth? That type of thing. And that's you know, those, those are kind of the main things you need to be looking at once you're once you're off and going.
1: All right. And can you sort of eyeball a load now and get an idea of you know what speed and things like that? Or every time you pick up a new load, it's a matter of checking it as it goes and just sort of
0: yeah. There's some basics, you know, it's like if it's a dense load, you know, a logging load or, a, you know, vehicles will fly pretty well. If it's a pretty dense load, you're pretty set that it'll fly at a decent speed. You know, we'll, we'll always do a check prior to taking off with a load. So we'll, we'll pick it up, we'll see how it hovers, see what kind of power you got in the hover and then, um, you know, start into a slow forward flight see how it's flying at that point, and then increase it up to max, max speed, the max speed that you think you're going to get out of it. And the load will pretty much, it'll, it'll tell you when you've got to the max speed that it wants to fly at most of the time, you'll feel it either pulling on the aircraft a bit or start to go side to side, and you'll just kind of back it off until it steps, stabilizes, and, and you'll call that your, your max for that particular load. Sure. Pretty much it. operational flight decks.
1: Alright, we'll get into the transit stuff, um sure I guess we will keep uh, on track then. So uh, aircraft done planning, what type of equipment is involved? Uh, you've obviously you know got the hook on the aircraft. So <laughs> manabler. Sure. What are you sure. what's what are the what's the rest of the stuff you're attaching then?
0: Yeah, so we'll we'll start off in another basic helicopter pre flight for the day. Then we'll get our lines and, and whatever. If we're using nets we'll lay everything out pretty much. So most of the time what we'll do is get the line, we'll lay it out in a specific way. Like if you're if you're left seat drive We'll lay that line out from about your 9 to your 12 so that when you pick it up, you have the line in full view as you pick it up. So we'll lay that out. We'll connect it up to the aircraft. We'll do our, you know, belly hook is the hook that's underneath the aircraft, attached to the aircraft itself. So we'll do a belly hook check, just make sure that the release is working. So you'll have a manual release on that belly hook that you'll try. You'll also have internal, you'll have an electric and another manual release inside the cockpit itself. So we check that all those are working, put the line and hook it up. We'll do a a lower hook, which is the actual hook that the load hooks into. So we'll do a lower hook check as well. The lower hook check will have an electrical button on the cyclic of the aircraft itself, and most aircraft will, it'll be a two button push. It'll be a deliberate. You have to deliberately push two buttons most of the time in order to release that lower load or the lower hook. Uh, just so that you can't accidentally punch it off. And then uh, there's a manual release on the lower hook also. So if you were to bring it into your ground crew and you had a hook failure, electrical failure, hydraulic failure, whatever, um, however the hook's been operated, they had the ability on the ground to also release it by hand. So we'll do those checks. We'll do a walk of your line, make sure there's no obvious cuts in the line, you know, wear marks, where they've run a truck over it or something like that, which creates a weak spot. And, uh, you know, just a basic uh, pre-fly of everything we have. Check your, you know, we'll do a, a mission brief with the crews, with the ground crews. The ground crew will be with you the whole time while you're pre flying all your gear as well. Check the comms, make sure the radios are working, emergency plan. You know, we, on the Columbia rigs, we have sirens on there. So we'll check, you know, sirens, and we'll will let the guys know. Hey, if you hear just a just a short beep of the siren, we're just trying to get your attention. If you hear the siren go full on, it's a you know everybody clear out. Something's definitely up, type uh, emergency. So we brief everybody on that, um, and then we just go over the the load plans, the uh, the prepping of the loads. You know, do we need tag lines, which are you know about 20, 25 foot lines on the load itself so the guys at the other end have something to grab hold of, steady to load as you bring it in. Um, also, is there an order that these guys want the loads lifted in or is there an order that we need to lift the loads in based on fuel and distance? Just those type of things as well. So lots to do in the beginning.
1: Yeah, if we can, uh, if we can backtrack and just go on a couple of those things. So talking about the line, sure. the different materials, make it line, are they steel cable? What they type do. of lines yeah. do you have?
0: Yeah, you bet. We, um, probably about 12 to 15 years ago, they swapped over from steel to synthetic lines. So it, the the steel line's very heavy, really cut through the air, very you know a little bit harder to fly than a synthetic line, just some very squirrely lines. And then they moved over to synthetic, and pretty much everyone's flying synthetic these days. And the synthetic is a lot lighter. There's a lot more drag on the line itself. It's a lot thicker line than a steel line um, in the, most cases. And they have a jacket on them as well, a protective jacket. So, And they're very light, so they kind of fly a little bit further behind the aircraft. And they react a little slower than the steel lines do. So it's a less difficult line to fly. Um, we, never, we never say easy in this business, but it's definitely less difficult. And, and it's a lot lighter. It's a lot easier to transport, a lot easier for a guy flying a single ship um, to pack it up, put it in the back seat, that type of thing. So it's a lot more maneuverable as well as far as logistics go. Okay. Um, just an all-round better line to fly. In the the course that we run, we actually teach steel for the first few hours um, just because once you have a, real, a good handle on the steel, the synthetic after that is is again way less difficult. So, and just to give you an idea of how squirrely it could go.
1: For someone to pick up the line who's never seen it before, so if you just describe a 2 so basically you're going to have the the steel cable or synthetic line and wrapped around that or, or running parallel and taped to it, I guess, is an electrical control, and that runs down to the, to the bottom hook at the bottom of the line. Is that correct? And that's right. Yeah. Most of the time now, though, what you'll find is that they're jacketed lines, so
0: they have the actual line itself. Dynamy is the name of the, the material now that Barry Long lines are actually used. And then connected to that is the electrical line, and then around both is a jacket. So it's usually an orange jacket, high, high vis jacket, with a industrial strength zipper that goes all the way up the long line. So you have the ability to actually just unzip the line and check the internal workings and everything. And then they run from the aircraft belly hook down to the lower hook, and then uh, and that's how it's uh, the electricity supplied to
1: to the system. Okay, and just a um a cable connection then, so uh, some kind of electrical plug near the uh, hook assembly into the helicopter. Yeah, exactly.
0: You've actually got a much of a, a, an assembly like you would have at home, just industrial strength, commercial grade, that you'll actually plug into a connection on the bottom of the ship.
1: Yeah, on that, it'd have to be like, a, I know you said industrial grade, but it has it, it have like a break point or a quick release. So if you actually do release yeah. a hook, um, that cable's just going to rip off.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's, it just unplugs. That's on the smaller ships, on a, on a bigger ship, like a 107 or a Chinook or whatever, you've got cannon plugs in there. So they've actually got a cannon's plug that's um, plugging into the aircraft. But it's all quick disconnect. And if you were to punch the line off, it'll all break away and go with the line.
1: All right, Andrea, you mentioned the tag lines as well. So you'll have the, the line underneath the helicopter down to the load, and then you can actually have it like another rope just hanging off the, off the load, just hanging below it. And as you approach a work site, they can uh, basically grab the smaller line and then start to steer the, the load over. Wherever you need to take it to, exactly. Okay, cool.
0: Exactly. So, yeah, just a twenty foot. Most of the time is a twenty foot rope. You don't want anything that's weighted or anything that's going to injure the guys on the ground. So we'll have a rope on the bottom, 20, 25 feet. We'll bring it in, bring them the rope first, and, and most of the time you can actually put that rope, a couple of feet of that rope on the ground, so the guys can go and grab it, and in that way they've got full control of, or at least some control of the load, and they can stabilise it as you bring it into whatever you're setting on, whether it be a base or, you know, a particular spot or put on the back of a trailer or something like that. So it just helps the guys on the ground a lot more. It actually steadies it out a lot, and, and it's, uh, it's good for the pilots.
1: Yeah, okay. The, uh, the ground crew themselves, do they do – are they just company personnel? Do they do any uh, training? Is there standardized hand signals? Uh, how does that all work?
0: Yeah, they do. We've got um like our guys in New Guinea, Peru, that type of thing, load masters. Um, those guys are are trained up for that position. We've got internal hand signals for long line, which um they are pretty standard for anyone working with a line that's, you know, longer than say a military strop or a sling, they call it in the States. The basic hand signals that you see in the in the uh CA and FAA kind of documents or whatnot, they they don't quite apply to along the line. You're the sight picture from a from a guy flying a 30 foot or a 200 foot is really different. You know, you're looking at, like, say you guys in the military when you're flying, you're kind of looking at the guy out in front of you that's giving you the hand signals. You can see his face, or you have a pretty good sight picture of him. When you're up at the 200 foot level, 100 foot, 200 feet, you're actually looking down on top of the person's head. So the hand signals have been structured so that you can see it from that height and uh, get a better idea of what they're what they're needing you to do.
1: And uh, fairly standardised, like if you went with another company or you went to a different country, would you expect to see the same or would that be something you'd brief before you go?
0: We'd brief it before we go. We we brief it on on every job just to make sure that it's right. All our guys are trained up obviously that way, but um, if we work with someone else, we'll we'll give them a hand. And that's what we've been doing actually in Afghanistan as well. we'll when we have the opportunity, we'd stop at a base if we're going to start flying a lot of loads to one particular base. We'd drop someone off. They'd give these uh, the military guys a briefing and demonstrations on on uh, our hand signals, and then we'd start bringing them in after that. So. which, you know, works works probably 60 percent of the time because most of the time when you get over the top of somebody, they start panicking and, and it all goes out the window. But, sure. Yeah, it's uh, a yeah, pretty good hit rate. Right?
1: All right, let's uh, keep cracking then, because I'm just conscious of time. I want to <laughs> hit you up for as much good yeah. info as we can. All right, so we're in a machine, in a helicopter, with the load's hooked up to the uh, to the belly hook. Oh, sorry, well, the cable is at this stage, perhaps not the load. We go to pick up. What's the the process there for for the uh, for the pickup?
0: So for the pickup, like I said, we've we've usually laid the line out. When you've we've always laid that line out that quarter out the out the door of the pilot, so that you can just immediately pick it up and come up over the line, but. We'll do. Well, if you've got a ground crew, if you have ground crew with you, we'll usually get a thumbs up from the ground crew. Check lines on. You know, we've done our walk around. We've got it started. We're ready to pick it up. We'll pick it up into a hover, and then we'll do just a slight pedal turn, just enough to see the line move underneath you. Most of the time, we're in a on a pretty small service landing too, so there's not a whole lot of movement that you want to do on that. But First thing you really want to do is confirm that you have your line on and we'll, we'll actually confirm, verbally confirm line on and then we'll continue off. So at that point you'll lift up, you'll just get over the line, pretty much where the line is coming up off the ground is where you need to be over the top of the line. And then we'll just follow the line pretty much. So we'll, we'll bring it up, get over the kind of the mass of the line itself and just follow the line as it's coming up, bringing it up slowly enough to where the If it was to hook on something or get caught on something, you have the ability just to stop, back it off, unwind it or unhook it, and then continue on. So you want to, you want to just watch it coming up off the ground and be pretty much over the spot where it's, where it's coming up at the time. If you're off to the left or right, the line will actually show you that by having an arch in it. So if it's arching off to the right, you're obviously too far to the right. You need to come back to the left, get back over, over the top of it. So if you take note of the line as you bring it up, It'll be speaking to you as in, you know, left, right, forward, aft. You need to correct it to come straight up. Um, you'll bring the line up. You'll get to the last 10 feet of the line just prior to the hook itself. It'll, it'll be on the ground. And at that point, you want to slow down even more. You want to bring that last 10 feet up even slower and then stand that hook up on its nose and kind of split second hold it there and then just bring it off the ground gently. And then you'll confirm hook's clear. Once that uh, hooks up off the ground, you want to confirm it. it's not stuck on anything, hooked on some wire, hooked on some shrubbery or whatever. Hooks clear. At which point you'll you know move into forward flight, depending on where you're headed.
1: So Andre, probably pulling that hook up, that last little bit, as you said, just so slowly, you actually just staying on its on its end before you actually take it off the ground. Is that just to give you the best chance, to, like minimize any drift or any swing on pickup?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to rip it off the ground. And I mean that's the goal. It doesn't. It sounds. It doesn't always work out that way, but definitely slow. That last 10 feet, you want to go even slower than you were prior to that. And then, yeah, just just so that you pick it up, it literally comes straight up. Hopefully you've positioned yourself to be right over the hook itself, at which point it can come straight up. But, Again, by standing there for a split second and slowly coming up, there's no chance that even if you were off to the left or right or forward or whatever, it's still not going to whip up and, and hit something or you know, damage something or get caught on something. So definitely a safety factor, definitely a professionalism factor as well, just trying to, to get that. It's, it's just a good goal to shoot for and, and a very safe goal. So good way of doing it.
1: Sure. Okay. Next.
0: Um, and then the hook shot. I mean, we're off. Usually, if you've got say air conditioning units or something like that, you're going to be fairly parked, fairly close to to where your loads are. You'll pick it up, and then you can hover taxi over. You'll have your ground crew guys, preferably with a radio or hand signals, whichever at the time. Um, and then you can hover over to those guys. They can be giving you the level signal to bring the hook to them, and uh, it's just called an empty hook shot. Otherwise, if you're off flying somewhere to pick up the load, you'll have that hook, you'll clear that hook once it lifts up off the ground, hook's clear, at which point you'll just slowly transition into forward flight. And we say, you know, just don't, don't nose it over, look for ETL, nice controlled takeoff, and then off you go. And, um, you know, you'll, you'll head to wherever that little lay down yard or the uh, pickup yard is and, and go after your load at that
1: point what point do you transition from looking out underneath the helicopter to back in front of the cockpit and, and sort of normal forward flight?
0: Once we've hit ETL and we're we're off and running and we know that the load's cleared, say, obstacles on the ground, fences, trees, whatever that may be, uh, that, that's at the point you'll sit up, right? But you're always checking your hook, whether it's empty hook or with a load on. You're always, at some point, you need to be always out that bubble, just a quick look out, just to make sure everything's still there. Make sure that, that the load's flying like it should be, that water's not pouring out the bottom of your bucket, or that the load's coming apart or spinning out of control. And the same even with an empty hook. You just need to occasionally look out. Make sure the hook's still under you, that for whatever reason it didn't punch itself off, or you know you've inadvertently punched it. So we're always checking, Mick, is pretty much the, the key to that rule of thumb. You need to be out there. If you're flying a pattern, say training, you know, we, we make our guys and girls look out on every leg of that pattern. And once you pull into final, once you turn final, you need to be out that bubble at that point and then mate, scanning from forward flight, looking down at your load and just keep the scan going on final as you approach. And you need to be out there the whole time pretty much.
1: You talked about the, uh, the pickup there, so picking up the hook and then going to the load. Is that kind of like best practice or it doesn't matter? Like if you you would normally pick up with the load attached if it was there with you at the helicopter or is it best you know, to pick up empty?
0: Yeah, well, it just depends on your circumstance. So if you're a single pilot out in the middle of the bush and you don't have a ground crew, you'd, you'd set that load up, you'd park that helicopter, you'd set that load up with the line to where you could actually go over and hook it up already, you know, jump back in the machine, start it up, crick it up and have the line, have the load already hooked to you. Most of the jobs that, that we're doing, it's um there's a usually a, a pickup site itself where all the loads are placed and a lot of time in an order. And so we'll always pick that line up, take it over and you know, the, the ground crew will be standing next to the one they want you to take or, you know, direct you in. So definitely single pilot, you know, they hook up pre hookups and it's a good way of operating that way. You know, do it yourself. No choice at that point. Most of the guys.
1: Yeah, and I guess with a, a water bucket or things like that, it's always going to be attached anyway. So you have been picking it up as you go.
0: Yeah, water bucket's always going to be attached. Um, same theory with the water bucket. As far as laying the water bucket down, you'll you'll put it on your side of the aircraft. You'll lay it out. You'll lay that line out. And we always stress: don't just pile that line onto the ground. You know, don't lay that hook down or that bucket down, and then just pile line down on top of it. You need to be able to see that line. You need to be able to pre-flight that line and stick that line. You don't need it tangled. So. We'll we'll have you know we'll always lay our line out in nice kind of lengths, um, and then bring it underneath the aircraft at the last minute and, and place the aircraft down. So and you don't need it like synthetic lines will blow around a lot. They're very light, so you don't need that synthetic line flying around, moving around, and getting caught underneath a skid or underneath the wheel, um, you know, damaging potentially damaging the line. So it's definitely, it's all deliberate motion on all of it, and deliberate with everything you do from. Even laying the bucket down, it's you know a lot of time we encourage you guys get a can of paint, put a mark on the ground, and shoot for that mark every time. You know we we always practice, and it's a it's a very uh, it's a skill that's easily lost for that one.
1: Yeah, it's like it's like anything. I guess if you're holding a hide or holding a heading, it's uh yeah uh, whatever the training thing is, it's it's always Absolutely. aiming for for something. Andre, exactly. we we touched on the the flight characteristics there a little bit earlier about how you know looking at speeds and things, but yeah, can we talk about you know, g loading turns, the load spinning, how the loads fly. What what are all the flight characteristics you need to be thinking of?
0: Sure, yeah. Just again, fully dependent on the load, the the speed that you're at. You know, in in turns, if you're making a turn, you usually take a little bit of power out on the collective. You'll just back it out a little bit as you make the turn. It takes a little pressure off in the turn. You know, I won't say it provides any slack, but it takes just takes that power out as you as you're making a turn, and and it's not as hard on the machine. You know, rolling out of turns, a real smooth rollout will prevent that load kind of going swinging under you in the opposite direction as you roll out of a turn. You want to make a real, very smooth rollout of all your turns. Otherwise, you'll be you'll set yourself up for oscillations as you get straight and level again. Spinning loads. All our aircraft, say the Columbia aircraft, for instance, are all equipped with swivels. So if you have a load that you think is going to be a spinner, you're going to definitely need to have a swivel, which you can put between the belly hook of the aircraft and the line itself, the beginning of the line, you'll have a swivel in there. Any spinning will just be absorbed by that swivel. It'll just spin with the load. And uh, spinning loads, there's not a lot you can do. The, the, the only thing you can really do is back it off. Just find a speed that it spins the least and just run with that. That's the only way to really cure that. It has its own problems of spinning load at the other end, which is where tag lines come into play, although a lot of the time that'll also... Tangle up the tagline, so a lot of different factors at the end. We've used bushy trees, you know, just to kind of absorb a little bit of the spin, slow it down a bit. Or you can touch the load down on the ground just prior to getting it to your ground crew to take that spin out.
1: Okay, um, so yeah, a few different factors. there All right, so now's the uh, the money shot, I guess. So let's talk about the approach. Uh, so we've got to wherever it is we're going. You know, one of the things I found looking down is trying to judge that height below, below the load when it's when you are so high and, and yeah. looking straight down the line. On that approach line, in what's your work cycle? How do you how do you teach the work cycle on their on their way in?
0: Out of the bubble as soon as you roll onto final for a start, just to just to check that load, see where it is in relation to the aircraft itself. That last turn onto final needs to be really really smooth in order to keep that load underneath you. And the key is, you know, ultimately what you're shooting for is to have that load underneath the aircraft as you're bringing it in. You know. It's again so logging. For logging, say, as as an example, that's flat out as fast as you can possibly go to get these, you know, safely go to get these logs on the deck. So you're kind of shooting that log out in front of you, and then at the last minute you'll get over the top of it as you bring it down and lay it down on the landing. Construction jobs, you're going to want to have that load at a walking pace for the last, you know, 100 yards, 50 yards, somewhere in there. uh, You're going to want to walk it in. It's, you're using shadows. You're using your ground crew. Um, ideally, if they've got a radio, that's awesome. They can they can talk in with a radio. Hand signals are really good. You know, learn to trust your ground crew. Work well with your ground crew. Shadows are excellent. Um, if you don't have any of those, you know, it's just straight depth perception, and it's uh, and gets it, you know it's pretty difficult. That just takes time, time and and uh, hours with a line underneath you to to really try to work out your depth perception and, and judge that. Yeah, you know, we encourage encourage uh, newer pilots, less experienced pilots to, to come in a little higher when you're just starting out just to just to make sure you are covered and just to keep it slow. Keep it slow on the end. It's if you think you're going slow, you need to slow up even more. It, it really is quite deceiving at the end there, so we really encourage people to, to keep it super slow at the very end so as not to overshoot and or get in a situation where you're gonna settle with power, that type of thing. So
1: all right, so good to, good to know it is tricky because <laughs> I, I, I found it uh, yeah, pretty challenging and uh, particularly you know, the, the shadow was on the other side of the helicopter so I couldn't, um, you know, I couldn't see the, the, the low shadow gotcha. for, for quite a while. Yep. And yeah, just trying to judge yeah. it higher, it was yep. really that was tricky. The swing on the, on the way in, if it does start swinging side to side, what's the trick there with trying to cancel that swing out?
0: Yeah, the, the best thing you can do I think, is just, just keep forward momentum. A lot of people will try to correct for the swing at which point they'll they'll uh, stop their forward momentum. So you want to be able to keep a slight drag on the load. The, the the drag itself will actually keep that load, you know, somewhat under control. If as long as you've rolled out fairly smoothly. But if, you know, you, a lot of loads you'll have a have a left right tendency as you're coming in, passing into a slow it up. You know, you can make a if it's if it's moving off to the right. The key is to be over the load. So if it moves off to the right, you've got to kind of catch it as it's going right. But keep moving forward as you do that. So what will happen is people, it'll go to the right, person will stop the forward momentum, and they'll just go to the right to catch it. Well, now you've got to start all over again. So then you push forward cycle. Well, then the load goes behind you, then shoots in front of you. Now you've got a forward oscillation. So best you can do is just keep it slow, keep forward momentum, And then just, just slowly work it in there as you go and just, just kind of let it settle itself out. If you fly the aircraft, the key is just flying the aircraft pretty much and just fly that aircraft smooth and slow to the point and the load most of the time, majority of the time will be underneath you if, if you do that. Don't get fixated on the load itself. Don't get fixated on the target side either. Um, you know, you want to keep that scan going. We're normally scanning, you know, load, target, wind, load, target, wind, however, whatever kind of scan Suits the individual, but um, definitely want to keep keep the scan going. As if you uh, if you fixate on any one of those, it's you're there before you know it, and, and you know you, you're not set yourself up properly. So the wind, you know, like left seat drive, for instance, we'll normally have the wind off about our. Uh, we'll, we'll have a little right pedal in there, so the wind would be hitting us at about the eleven o'clock position, which will actually push majority of time it'll push the fuselage either a gentle push down. Which will give you a better sight picture, if that makes sense. So we're kind of into the wind, dragging a little bit into the wind so that, that it pushes the nose down a little bit. And uh, that'll open up your sight picture as well.
1: Can which, you run uh, that? Is, a, is a Can you run that one past me again? So you, you're saying you're coming sure. in a little bit cocked off, or? or so you...
0: Exactly. So if, we, we'll, if you're you know, 12 o'clock into the wind, say, so we'll get a little right pedal in the left seat ship and we'll bring that nose to like the one o'clock position to the wind. Yep, and um, which will be pushing down on the left side of the fuselage. Does that make sense? All
1: right, that's so just we'll, a, come in, we'll come in to give you a, a nice 12. clear line.
0: Yeah, exactly. So what you want to do is you want to open up your the sight picture and open up the target area or your ground crew to see their hand signals or see where the the mark is on the ground. But you also want to be always you know on final, if preferably into the wind. But once you get a little closer, what we'll do is we'll give a little right pedal. The wind will push on the left side of the aircraft and actually dip it down a little bit. So we'll set it up to where it actually kind of pushes the bottom of the aircraft, the side of the aircraft, a little down. Sure, um, yep. Just dragging on it. And that that gives you a better side picture at that point without having to to do any major cockpit control movements. Yep, yep. So we're cocked off a little bit to the wind there to, to give ourselves a better look.
1: Yeah, there's a video, I'm sure most people listening to this um, will have seen it with the guy doing the, the Christmas trees, where he basically comes through and, and swings it around and, and almost punches the load off as it comes over the top of the truck and then he's back yeah, in a couple on. of seconds later. So, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Have you seen stuff like that in, in, in real time? I have. The boys are
0: uh, full on, for sure. <laughs> All for right. Sure. Um, yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah, that's right. I did want to keep that story going because it'd be interesting to see the insight behind that. But otherwise, I was going to say the next thing would be the set down. But uh, yeah, if you've got an inside uh, story on the, on the Christmas trees, I'd love yeah, to hear I haven't,
0: it. I haven't flown, a, haven't flown the Christmas trees myself. But um, I mean, it's a full-on punch and run business for sure. Time is money. So so the boys are, uh, are certainly pumping there. I'm not real sure of what the, what the statistics are on that part of the business. But, um, you know, you're looking at you're looking at loads like that that are very close to tail rotors. You're looking at uh at fast movements that you know, if you're hooked on something or you're even close to being hooked on something, there's a good chance you're gonna kinda uh you know, do
1: yourself a, a well, I wouldn't have thought it'd be if that, you're uh, not careful but I wouldn't have thought it'd be that economical
0: no i I guess the uh they're moving a lot of you know most of the time like say with with the lines it's just access to to wherever they are, so yeah, you, know, you might be looking at things where they don't want to drive a truck in there or a tractor in there or whatever but, um the the rate they move 'em it's um it's pretty quick but uh yeah, it's, it's you know it's definitely a, definitely a full on part of the industry that one one that I don't really wanna have a shot at.
1: Bit. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. Well, we've got the load to uh, wherever it is. Yeah. Is, is then any particular techniques for, for actually getting it down on the ground for that last little part?
0: Yeah. The um. Again, it depends on where you're at, the environment you're in. So, if you are say in trees, for instance, or you're precision placing a load on the other side of a ridge line or whatever, the weight of the load itself can also have an impact on what kind of altitude you are coming in at. The ultimately, it's a guy on the ground again would be great to be able to talk you down you've set yourself up Let's say a construction job for instance we'll have the guys give us a, an altitude of about hundred feet once we get to one hundred feet we'll get them to call that hundred and then uh, we'll try to bring the load in as close to the ground or as close to the tree tops or whatever as possible just so at the other end when you when you really start to slow down and you're getting in that high velocity diagram there you're uh, you've got the ability to to bring that load in super slow and, and avoid any sudden power issues. So with logging loads, that type of thing, you know, we're, we're 200 feet above the trees, 100 to 200 feet above the trees and, uh, you know, solid descent as you're getting closer to the landing. It just really depends on what kind of load you're flying. Oil platforms, you now you're going to have a guy on the ground talking you down, um, which is probably the best method of all. So the uh, once you've touched the load down, We'll, we'll always, it'll either be a point on the ground, a ribbon blob, a paint mark, you know, a, a tower base, whatever your job may be. But once we've got it down there, whether it be tag lines, the ground crew grab the tag lines, it's under control, you you really back off on the speed. And then it's pretty much a walking in process. And then, uh, you know, they're going to talk you down from there. So we'll get 50, 100, 50 feet, 40, 30, 20, get down to the point where they're talking you down in inches. And it's just, you know, if you can just hover the aircraft pretty much, once the ground crew has the load itself, if, if you're using a ground crew, if you can just maintain the hover and, and you can let them do most of the work for you, um, it'll it's guide it in. And uh, it's just a matter of trusting the crew and, and listening to, the, to what they're telling you at that point.
1: So once you've got the line on the ground, how much, how much slack would you have it in it before you actually then release it?
0: Once you've touched that load down you'll keep some, some slack in the line there. Well, actually what happens, like so say a, like a power pole or a ski tower or something like that, you'll maintain the um, tightness on the line and, until you've been told, okay, you know, load's load set, slack it off, which point you'll slack it off. You know, there's a few different factors there about punching off the, the rigging and everything at the end. Uh, you know, you don't want to punch the rigging off onto a load. You don't want to punch if there's guys up a tower. You don't want to punch the rigging to where it'll swing down and hit, uh, ground crew, that type of thing. So it really does depend on what you've got going. You know, we fly a lot of, a lot of, uh, four wheel, like, uh, mules and razors over in Afghanistan. And, uh, you don't want to punch rigging onto the roof of one of those things that will blow the windows out. So a few different factors there. But, um, you'll place that load, you'll bring the hook either side of the load with the rigging in it and then just you know, kind of get it as close to the ground as you can or whatever to, to punch it off so it doesn't do any damage after you punched it. All right. If that makes
1: sense. Yep, no, that's perfect. So we we're talking about the ring there, and I guess making it perfectly clear. So you've got the hook, but then you're going to have some kind of straps that actually then go from the hook to whatever the load is, which can be right. quite heavy if it's got all the shackles and things like that on it. Exactly, exactly. So you got slings, what they call them in the States. So uh,
0: you'll have shackles on the end of the slings, four, four slings, so we will come up to one shackle. It'll be connected to your hook. So you want to make sure that you're just not going to punch that. So it's all again deli- very deliberate. You know, you want to bring that load in, set it down, have a plan on which side you're going to take the shackle and, and slings, and which side you're going to punch it off. How you're going to do it? What else? You just have that in your mind prior to uh, prior to releasing, it, just to make sure to bring in a load and set it nicely, and then ding something after you punch it off would be would uh, be poor form.
1: <laughs> Very much so. Get some yep. dirty, dirty phone calls back. Yes, you would. All right, let's keep, keep punching through then, Andre, because I am conscious of your time there. So, uh, flight emergencies. Then uh, you know, again, on the way out, on the way in, you know, we're well and truly outside those sort of, you know, we talked about sure. high velocity type things. So, what's what, what's flight emergency considerations? Uh, do you have, and, and what sort of training, you know, tips do you give for that? Yeah. Best thing you can do for mitigation
0: on the on the emergency is just situation awareness. You know, setting up your approach, talking to your all your ground crew about which way you're going to come in, have a look at the job where you're going to actually set the load and or where they want the load placed, and and just you know work that out as to wind direction versus obstacles versus terrain versus you know houses. It really depends on where you're working at the time, but um, the rule of thumb is just don't fly over anything that that you know, you're going to damage if you uh, if the load was to come off or if you had to inadvertently punch off the load. So, you know, we look for the gaps, fly across, the, you know, open spaces, that type of thing. And working in cities or in towns or in congested areas, you know, you're always going to want to have an uh, an area that you, you know, you'd brief with everybody, hey, if, if there was something that was to go on, we're going to punch the load this way, the aircraft's going to go this direction, everybody needs to clear out one group. And a lot of that just to do with the mission briefs and, and um, sorting that out prior to the job, but mainly just not flying over everything, over anything, Um, being ready to have it, you know, crew resource management, as far as, um, as far as what the key phrases are to be, if you need to punch the line or, you know, that's in a dual ship, you work that with your, uh, with the other pilot as to, hey, when I say these words, you're going to actually release the long line, you're going to punch the line. That's what we think. So, mainly briefing and and really looking at your job prior to doing it, you know, understanding what you've got going on that particular job and what you do in the case of emergency.
1: All right. And if people are doing the training or they're already out doing uh, the long line work, uh, where do most folks go wrong? Like where do the accidents happen or what, what are the, the technique things to, to look out for?
0: It's mainly um, it's the decision-making processes, uh, you know, lack of training judgment this type of thing overconfident in the person's abilities um gets a lot of people into trouble um you know the the ex, like examples of it would be uh setting with power that type of thing is a is a can be a big one with a line attached um but uh you know a lot of a lot of pilots going out there that haven't flown a lot say in the last year or the you know prior to last job that type of thing that they get themselves in trouble going out there without out uh Putting a few hours on first or just getting back into the seat and it's, you know, two abrupt movements, um, just an array of different things that can get you in trouble.
1: sounds like there's a a real conflict uh, between everything you're saying, you know, is slow and controlled and and being really deliberate. Uh, But then on the other side, as far as like the, the job side of things goes, like the ground crew would be... You know, I'm guessing we'd want you to be in nice and and quickly get it down, and and so they can get on with their part of the job, uh, and especially you know, firework and stuff like that. As you know, they they want, they don't want you hovering around for ages getting it sorted. Uh, so there must yeah. be that that you know dynamic, that pressure there.
0: Sure, sure, and it, and it, again, it just depends on the job. Like mean, you know, like you said, firefighting is correct. I mean, they want you in there. You've got helicopters lined up behind you, so they want want you to get in, get out. You know, get into the dip site as fast as you can. Get out there, put as much water on the on the fire as you can. So each sector of the industries or of the utility side of it is going to be a little different. Um, the main thing, what we stress with the slow and steady is is mainly the training and and just getting that good foundation prior to going into a position where you're going to be fighting fire or you're going to be logging or anything like that. So most of the time, we're kind of talking you know slow and deliberate just to get the good basic foundation. At which point you can, you can work on that, you can develop on that. Once you've got those basics down, and once you've got the fundamentals down, um, mm. it's just it, too many people get into it and and see other experienced pilots flying these loads, placing these loads, flying fast, dropping the water, you know, logging whatever, and and try it on, and that's where most people come to grief. Just just not. Uh, it's a very humbling humbling exercise you know and and you need to it, it'll bite back real quick so you just need to be very vigilant when you especially when starting out and yeah. or if you haven't done it for a while you know you ease back into it but um
1: yeah because some of you guys make it look um very easy you know if you sit there watching youtube videos and things like that but yeah i must admit it's you when know, the couple of times i've done it it's been one of the more challenging things i've done in, in a long time so i'd look forward to you know doing yeah, a bit more awesome. just to, to sort of nail it. but uh yeah it was i was really working hard and trying to make sure i was you know getting the scan moving and i was looking in all the right places yeah we'll talk about the training uh shortly but just one last question we didn't no. sort of cover about the the instrument so when you are in you know in the, in the bubble window and you're looking outside and looking down most of the machines that are set up for this, what instruments do you have on your side? at you know you're getting it's doubled up from what you normally have sure. on, the, on the front cockpit. Uh, what would you generally have doubled up or as remote instruments? Yeah, most most you're going to have your TIT and your and your torque gauges will be outside the
0: aircraft on the smaller machines, um, on the single pilot machines, um, I should say, and then uh, most of the dual machines you get you the co-pilot will actually be. In working inside the cockpit, the pilot would be outside the cockpit, and, and the co-pilot would be informing what's going on, and, and say, in our case, Columbia, we'll bring in the power to a certain level, co-pilot will call off our power settings, and then we'll say max power, and the co-pilot actually pull in that last however many percent or, uh, or temp, and then on the on the smaller machines, you're going to have a TIT and a, and a um, torque gauge outside bubbles for a single pilot op, so that that uh, you're watching your own talking,
1: Tim. Awesome. All right. So we've tried to jam as much as we can in the time. Obviously, you know, there's folks out there run uh, training courses on this, and, and you guys are one of them. So can you tell us a little bit more about the, uh, yeah, I guess how you got started with uh, Volvo Mission and a little bit about the the course structure?
0: Sure, sure. Um, like I say, we, were, uh, we started off with Los Angeles Helicopters about eight years ago, one of the first formal, training programs there there just wasn't anything around really that um it was all kind of grandfathered and it was in-house training that type of thing so we put that one together there's been a lot of a lot of courses since those days and we you know we, we concentrate a lot on the motor skills as opposed to the human factors and everything else back in those days things have evolved we've now created our mission our whole goal is to have a really good balance between the human factors you know a lot of time on improving situational awareness decision making skills that type of thing as well as the motor skills side of it so that's what we're going after now it's an extremely balanced course and uh, you know we'll be concentrating on all those factors and all these little tips and and pointers that that have been handed down from years at columbia and and a lot of other companies that we've got a lot of good friends in and, and uh, a lot of good long line parts and that's what we're we're teaching on this course so uh, that's what we're trying to get across and it's my goal is to keep the accident rate right down in, in the, the 133 field. There's a lot of ways that the training can be improved, and, and we think we can certainly do our part for that. So.
1: And your instructors for that are, are full-time instructors or they're guys coming out of the field in for a, a break and doing some instructing? What's the mix there?
0: Yeah, there's a, we've got a mixture uh, for instructors. Um, there's, there's two of us that are Columbia pilot, uh, command pilots, Columbia helicopter pilots. Uh We've got another another instructor that's a uh, a power line guy. Spends his time on uh, long lines on power lines. So um, they're all professional pilots that are actually flying lines, flying long line for long line companies at this at the moment. And then uh, on their breaks, they'll come in and instruct for us um, on the
1: course. So. That's what well, a one day, one day course, two day course. What's the, the course?
0: No, it's a just. A, it's a twenty hour course. So it's minimum six days um, to up to ten or eleven days if, if we have multiple pilots on it. So twenty hours of, of flight time. It's uh, ten hours of ground school and uh, ten hours PowerPoint, and then in the field uh, ground as well. So we cover everything from uh, you know very basics, starting off with vertical reference, uh, and then uh, on the basic loads steel lines, synthetic lines, different lines, fifty foot, hundred foot, two hundred foot lines, and you know how each each one of those flies. And then um finish it out with in uh amongst obstacles in trees and then some precision sets for the course completion standards. Um you know setting an air conditioning unit, setting a pole in a hole, um two part loads, this type of thing. So pretty extensive. Is there any recognized
1: is there any recognised qualification that comes with it? Obviously, you've got the, you know, whatever the endorsement is in that particular country, but is there then a, you know, any recognised certificate that goes with the course?
0: No, we don't. We, we used to offer a Part 133 card. We'd card people on, the, on Part 133. We, we're not doing that at this point. If a person goes and, and picks up a job with a, an external load company, that company will want to card them. They'll need to be carded. At least that's how it works in the States. And so that will be individually carded by the company they're working for. So,
1: Is there any insurance um, kickback as far as insurance companies, you know, give you a break if you've done the course or they, they kind of push people towards it?
0: No, not at this point. No, we've spoken a few insurance companies, nothing going on at this point. We do have quite a few companies that, that call us up looking for pilots. Uh, we've got some good relationships with, with companies that, that are always looking for for good pilots with a good attitude and a good skill level and knowledge. and uh, so. We work with quite a few of that, and We've been able to replace a few, um, a few of our pilots over the years, in uh, in jobs, external load jobs.
1: And Andrew, do you want to uh, plug your website address so folks can come and check you guys out and see a little bit more about what you do?
0: Sure. It's um, well, if if anyone's after any information, it's info at voloemission dot com. So info at voloemission dot com www.volomission.com will be our website. Uh, It's it's, uh, about to be completed here shortly, so yeah, running on that. And uh, we'll be happy to answer any questions or or, uh, proposals or anything else that uh, anybody's interested in.
1: All right, and I guess because it's an audio thing, so I'll dispel it. So it's volo mission volo if uh, it com. didn't come very clearly. Look, oh, no, that's <laughs> awesome. So it's a, you know a very much a uh, yeah, you know a very light, quick intro into uh, external loads and and lining but we've also you know we covered a fair bit of territory there. Uh, so you know there's obviously a lot more out there if you're actually listening to this and, and want to go get training. There's obviously different companies around uh, like Volo Mission that do it. But uh, otherwise, it's uh, you know, an insight into another part of the industry as well of how people do it. So, Andre, thanks very much for uh, sharing your time. I know you're, you're taking a break out of your holiday on the Gold Coast, so it's uh, hugely appreciated.
0: Oh, you're welcome, Mick. Thanks for the time. I appreciate it.
1: All right. I'll catch up with you soon. Cheers. All right. Thanks. Folks, you've just been listening to Andre Hutchings, And we've actually interrupted him mid-holidays. He was in his hotel room uh, to do that interview. So again, uh, a big thank you uh, to Andre for taking the time out to be able to talk to us and run us through all that awesome content on uh, longlining. So you can see some photos and a video about longlining work that Andre has sent me over on the show notes of episode 13 at rotarywingshow.com. There'll also be links there to Volvo Mission uh, too if you want to find out more about longlining training. Did you pick the quote at the start of the show? That was Wilbur Wright of Wright Brothers fame talking about helicopters being a dead-end uh, technology. So it's just the way things were then, and that was his call. Okay, quickly, sponsors of the show, uh, so you have a bit of work to put it together, so thanks to our sponsors, trainmorepilots.com. And it's a place to go if you're looking to bring in more students for your helicopter training courses. That's trainmorepilots.com. Please follow the show on social media. We're on Facebook and Twitter, and you can find me on LinkedIn. If you think it's worthwhile, then give us a shout out to your, your network and uh, see who helps we can reach and uh, share our sort of passion about helicopters and take that a little bit further. Look, thanks again for listening in. Don't check out the entire back catalog of shows. If you've just joined us for the first time today, so again, you can find it over at rotarywingshow.com. I've been your host, Mick Cullen. Been great, and I'll see you next time.